So we're going to be here in Ephesians chapter number five. And we just finished up Ephesians four. And the, what we've been really looking at uh, beginning in chapter four is the practical application of living out that all that theology, all that doctrine that Paul has been emphasizing from Ephesians chapter one to Ephesians chapter three. And uh, Paul really started on this in chapter four about walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then he began telling us exactly how we're supposed to be living that out, actually walking out the Christian faith walk. And he gives us several different ways of how we're supposed to do that, walking in humility, um, how we're supposed to be equipping one another to the building up of the body of the saints, Uh, He talks about how then we are supposed to be putting off the old man, which is corrupt and deceitful with his desires. We're supposed to be renewing our mind and then putting on the new man, which is created after Christ Jesus in righteousness and true holiness. And we went through several of those uh, uh, sins that we're supposed to be putting off, uh, such as we're not supposed to be lying anymore. We're supposed to be speaking truth. Uh, We're not supposed to be angry Do not let the uh, sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. We're no longer supposed to steal or be uh, thieving from people. Uh, Then we are supposed to let no corrupt communication come out of our mouth, but only that which is good for edifying. And then he tells us, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, And we finished up with this verse, verse 32, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so this is how we are supposed to be walking as believers in Christ. And then Paul starts here in chapter number five, verse number one, therefore be imitators of God. Have you ever had anybody imitate you? For those of you that have children or have had children in the home, you know that you don't have to do anything but just be yourself and your child will imitate you and some of the good things and then some of the bad things. You're like, no, 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 don't say that. Don't do that. Well, they're just learning exactly from you. They're imitating, they're picking up uh, what you are doing. Uh, Last night, Evelyn... Uh, I was thinking about this when she did this. She came strolling into the kitchen. She had my shoes on. Of course, they're about uh, 10 times too big. And she's clopping around, clop, 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 clop. And you go, what what are you doing? She's imitating. She's picking up on the habits of what we do. And here Paul says, therefore, be an imitator of God. Sometimes the best way of imitating somebody else is just by example. And Paul knew what it meant to be an imitator or or knew how to imitate or he often encouraged other believers to imitate. Uh, He told the Corinthians that he was their father in the gospel. And then he added in 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. Later on in uh, chapter 11, verse number one, he said, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. 
He also told uh, the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, you also become imitators of us and of the Lord. And he used uh, several examples of that as, a, as a, a tender, caring nurse, as the nurse cares for uh, their children. That's exactly how uh, we are supposed to imitate uh, he said in, uh, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 6, verse 36, be merciful just as your father is merciful. He even went further when Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48, a command, Jesus said, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Maybe you can help me finish this statement. Be holy for I am holy. We're supposed to imitate, we're supposed to copy our father's, uh, example in the scriptures. And so it should come no surprise at all that we are supposed to be an imitator of God. We're supposed to be living out Christianity the way exactly how God shows us in his word. When you deviate from the scriptures, when you deviate, deviate and start living your own life as you please, you will fall greatly short of being an imitator of God. And so we're supposed to be an imitator of God, as Paul says here in uh, chapter 5, verse number 1. And we're going to be looking here at this command to imitate God. And Paul has really been building all of this to a climax. I mean, he's been going on about what we're supposed to put off and supposed to put on, how we're supposed to act tender-hearted, uh, merciful, forgiving. And then he says, therefore, be an imitator of God. He says, all of this stuff that I've been building up to, this is the climax, this is the peak. Be an imitator of God. And I believe the entire Christian life can be summed up as a life of imitating God as beloved children, as what Paul is going to talk about here in Ephesians 5, verses uh, 1 and 2. In Romans chapter 13, verse number 8 through 10, Paul wrote this. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And if there is any other commandment are summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So we must be an imitator of God. Are you an imitator of God? How do you know if you are imitating God? Well, let's take a look at our scripture here this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 1. Number 1, to be an imitator of God, I must know God as one of his children. If you are going to be an imitator of God, you must be one of his children. You must be one of the family of God. You must be part of that family. I think this is what Paul's been building towards here in this previous chapter. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Because if you are not a child of God, it is virtually impossible to put off lying, stealing, corrupt communication. You can't do it because you don't have the power of God in you. You don't have that new nature living within you. And so you have, to be an, you have to be a child of God in order to be an imitator of God. You have to have that new nature. 
Notice a couple things about this. Number one, we are a child of God through the new birth and adoption. Going to church, being good, being born in America, having Christian parents, shaking a pastor's hand, or doing any other type of religious activity does not make you a child of God, much less it makes you a car if you sleep in the garage. Okay? You have to know Christ personally. The Bible is clear that the only way that we become a child of God through, is through a new birth. Listen to what John chapter 1 verses 12 to 13 says. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 5, In love he predestinated us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. You see, without Christ, you are dead in your sins. That's what Ephesians teaches us. It says you were dead in your sins. For by grace you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, not, the, not of works. It's only through the grace and the faith of Christ that one is able to become a child of God. In Revelation 21.8, there's a final judgment for those that are dead without Christ, those that are under the wrath of God, that is awaiting those that do not know Christ. Listen to what it says, Revelation 21.8. But as for the cowards, the unbelievers, detestable persons, murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic spells, idol worshipers, and all those who lie, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. That is the second death. And so you must have a second birth. You must have a new birth. You must be born again in order to be part of God's family. So if you're going to be an imitator of God, you've got to be part of his family. Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, Jesus says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And these are the most troubling words in all of the New Testament, I believe. Jesus said, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Not I used to know you, now I don't, but I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So you must have a new birth experience to be able to imitate God. So not only does it include a new birth, but it also includes adoption. Because listen to this, in Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestinated us for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. 
I want you to let that sink in. Think about that. How unholy are you? How unrighteous are you? How good are you? The Bible tells us that there is none that is good. No, not one. And yet, God knowing the worst about you, every horrible, vile thing about you, God chose you before the foundation of the world. That's grace. That's mercy. That's love that God displayed towards us. You will never understand God's great love until you understand the terrible depths of sin which he rescued you from. From the gutters of sin, by grace alone, he brought you into his house and gave you all of the privilege of being his beloved child. Remember, that's what we covered in all of Ephesians chapter 1 through 3. All the blessings that we have in Christ because we've been adopted and we're part of his family. Secondly, we are beloved children. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I never really understood what it meant to love a child until I actually held a child in, in my arms that was from me, of my own. You know, my parents would often tell me, say, I love you, or sometimes right before I was going to get uh, a, a spanking or something, now this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Really? <laughs> really? Can you really say that? I mean, I believe you're the one that has the, uh, the spatula or the, the, the spanking rod there. How's this going to hurt you more than me? But now, finally, when I have a child, I see my child erring. I see my child going in a way that is not pleasing. And I want to correct them. And there's love there. And Paul writes, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. There is something about holding that precious little life in your hands that really changes you. But our text here says that we are his beloved children. More than any human father could ever love his child, God loves you more. Listen to what 1 John 3, 1 says. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God and such we are. So to imitate God, you must be one of his beloved children. There must be that new birth experience. You must be his child. So how do I know if I'm one of his children? How do I know if I've been born again? I remember talking to a kid by the name of Brandon Herndon, uh, who was a drug addict just like me before I came to know Christ. And we were out in Corpus Christi, Texas. We were out in the, um, uh, the, uh, the Texas Gulf area out there swimming. And I had already came to know Christ. And I was talking to Brandon, and he said, boy, it would just be great if like some magic spot would just show up on your hand that says you're a child of God. Then you wouldn't have to really know. You know, wondering about if I am a child or if I'm not a child. But how do I know if I am one of his children? Do you believe in Christ alone as your only hope for forgiveness of sins and eternal life? Is it Jesus and Jesus alone or is it Jesus plus baptism? Is it Jesus plus my good works? Is it Jesus plus church attendance? Is it Jesus plus all the good things that I can do? 
If it's not Christ and Christ alone, we sing that song, in Christ and Christ alone I stand, right? All other ground is sinking sand. It must be Christ and Christ alone as your only hope of salvation and forgiveness of sins. Do you see evidence that God has changed your heart? You see, faith in Christ is the main evidence that you have been born of God. John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, but to all who have received him, those who believe in his name, he has given the right to become God's children, children not born by human parents or by human desire or a husband's decision, but by God. So if he has imparted new life to you, you'll see evidence of it in your heart. You'll have a new desire to love Christ, to obey him, to know him more intimately. You will love his word. You will love his people. I challenge you to take the first John challenge. First John, book of first John. It's only five chapters, but I challenge you to take the first John challenge. Read through the book of first John and allow the evidence to see if it points to evidence in your life that you are truly a believer in Christ. You should be examining your own heart from the scriptures. So firstly, if I'm going to imitate God, I must know God as one of his children. Here's the second thing. If I'm going to be an imitator of God, imitate as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. A person who imitates another, they must study them. And learn their character, their style, their ways. For those of you that have ever been in, in any type of a play or a production, uh, you had to memorize your lines. If it was kind of a, a known production, it was something that you may have, have watched a, a previous film about or, or watched a play or read a book about the person. Because you're trying to get their character down. You're trying to get how they act and how they respond. And so if we're going to imitate God then we must imitate God as beloved children. We must know him and how he reveals himself in scripture. What is God like? One of the best books that I've read outside of, out of the Bible that really helped me understand a lot about the character and the nature of God was a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And just a, just a phenomenal book and, and how, how he uses all the theology uh, within God's word to describe what God is like. And it really helped me in my own life. But it is so important that we learn who God is through his word, not through what someone says or teaches about God. Find out for yourself. Paul told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. People say all kinds of things about God today. People say all kinds of things about Jesus. For example, uh, they may say things like, uh, my God is a God of love, not a God of judgment. Okay, I, I, I agree that God is a God of love, but he is also a God of judgment. They thinking by saying a statement like that, it's um, that, that God is going to uh, overlook sin or, or be okay with certain types of sin. Uh, 
but the Bible is, is revealed as, as God is revealed through the word. God is a God of love, but he is also a God of righteousness. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of wrath. So we need to know what the word of God has to say about who God is. And we imitate that. We allow the scripture to change us. We are not supposed to change the scripture to fit us. So what does this look like? How are we supposed to know God through his word? What is a practical way we can apply these truths to our lives? We'll spend time with him in the word and prayer. Influence is a, is a very powerful thing. A child who spends time with their parents, with their father, with their mother, um, they will be influenced in, in what they do, how they say it, how they, how they respond. Uh, we, were, uh, we went over to Taco Bell, I think it was last week, and Evelyn wanted to take her purse. Why does she want to take her purse? Well, because mommy takes her purse. And Evelyn wanted to put something in her purse. And what was it? It was one of those uh, uh, fake credit cards that you get in the mail, you know? Why does she want to take that? Because mommy and daddy have one of those. And she said, I want to pay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> So we went to Taco Bell and she got her purse and she opened her thing and she held out the card. And I said, no, you got to swipe it just like mommy and daddy do. What'd she do? She put it in her purse and walked away. And then guess what? I had to pay. <laughs> so influence has a tremendous amount of power. And the more that you spend in God's word, allowing the word to change you, learning who Christ is, you will be able to imitate him. So you'll pick up those, those things. David prayed in Psalm 25, 4, Make me understand your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me into your truth and teach me, for you are the God who delivers me. On you I rely all day long. So if you want to imitate God, if you want God to change you so that you will imitate him in the way that you think and how you respond, then you need to diligently spend time, consistent time alone with him. There are no shortcuts, none. There are no easy buttons. There are no microwave Christianity. You have to be diligent about it. You have to be a disciple. You have to take up your cross and follow after him. So imitate his beloved children. Here's the last thing. Thirdly, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Ephesians 5.2, and walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So if we're going to be an imitator of God, here's the practical way we do this. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Paul sums up all of the imitating of God in a very simple phrase. Here it is, walk in love. If you really want to live out your Christian life as, as God has, has told us to live it out, walk in love. That's how you do it. 
Jesus did the same when asked this, what was the greater commandment? Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we fulfill all of the law when we love God and love others. To be like God, we must walk in love. Christ is the supreme example of love. But what is love, though? You ever asked that, thought about that? What is love? If I'm going to imitate him in love, what does that look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, our culture has, has really depicted this, this way of love that is not biblical. It has given us a false idea, false views, false concepts of love that do not match up with the scriptures. Our culture uses the word love for everything from I love pizza to I love my dog to I love my wife. Is that love? Is that what love really is? Um, I remember as a kid and a teenager watching uh, one of these movies. It was uh, called The Sandlot. And, you know, this one kid, he pretends that he's, he's drowning so he can kiss this girl because he's madly in love with her, you know. And uh, he gets rescued from the pool and he's, he's pretending that he's not breathing. And, you know, then she uh, goes to do mouth to mouth and... Uh, you know, he kisses her, and then they start playing that song. This magic moment, you know. Is that love? I mean, when you hear a song like this, is that love, you know? What is love? You see, we tend to view love as a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. It's kind of magical when it hurts. But when it goes away, alas, we can never get it back. I've heard Christian spouses say things, I just don't love my mate anymore, so we're going to get a divorce. You see, we cannot imitate God in loving one another unless we understand what God's love is. The supreme demonstration of God's love was when he gave his own son to die for us on the cross. As John 3.16 proclaims, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Paul tells husbands in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus told the disciples in John 15.13, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. In John 13.34, Jesus told us that we are to love one another as he has loved us. So what is a good definition of true biblical love that we are supposed to imitate? Well, here are five things that I came across that really give us an accurate description of God's love. These are not original with me, but here they are. Number one, it's costly. True biblical love is costly. Christ gave his own son. Christ willingly laid down his life for his church. While we seldom have to go so far as actually to die for others, we often have to lay aside our selfishness, our pride, our rights in order to practice God's love towards others. I am the most selfish, self-centered pig that lives at my home. I am. I demand my own way. I want things my own way. I want my own things. 
And if I'm really going to love my wife as Christ loved the church, then I have to lay aside my selfishness, my pride, my arrogance, and esteem others more than I esteem myself. So it's costly. Secondly, it's caring. Psalm 103.13, just as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God cares for us more than any earthly father could ever could. Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. So if we think about someone, if we say things like, I couldn't care less what would happen to that person, or I could care less about them, guess what? You really don't love them, and you're really not imitating God's love. Thirdly, it's committed. Christ didn't go to the cross because it felt good. Rather, he was committed to do the will of the Father. We read in the Gospels, it says that he set his face as a flint towards Jerusalem. He willingly went to the cross to die for us. He was committed to that. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. So commitment is really the glue that holds and makes love endure. Fourthly, it's visible. It shows itself. In other words, it is not just nice thoughts, but also evident in deeds. It doesn't just say, well, I love you, but it actually proves that. It demonstrates it. Fifthly, it's sacred. It is committed to seek the highest good of the one loved. Because Christ loved the church, he also purposed to sanctify her. Listen to what Ephesians 5.27 says. That he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. This means because love is so sacred, we don't celebrate sin. We don't, we don't, we don't sit there and be like, oh boy, it's so great what you're doing. We don't celebrate it because Jesus' death on the cross was for sin. The Bible tells us he became sin for us in that he knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Sin cost the death of Jesus. It cost him his life. And so we don't celebrate it. It's sacred. So that means that love must sometimes exhort and correct and impose consequences for sinful behavior. You'll see here in these verses to follow in uh, verses 3 uh, and 4 about sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. How it's not even supposed to be named among you. And, and Paul puts it in comparison with love. Saying that we're supposed to be walking in love, not in sexual immorality and covetousness. And so... Love often speaks the truth. Love is going up to somebody and saying, hey, you're wrong. Uh, you are not walking as Christ commanded us to walk. You're walking contrary to the scriptures. But I'll warn you, I will warn you, if you go to somebody in love and try to correct them, you will, be, you will be treated as almost you're being hateful or mean. But love warns. Love is, 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 is proclaiming, hey, you're going the wrong way. You're going down the wrong road. And so love is sacred. 
But it is very unloving to allow anyone to go on in their sin. And so love warns. Now look at our text here again. You see that word walk and walk in love? Walk. This word walk implies it's a, it's a step-by-step process. He didn't say run in love. He didn't say stroll in love. He didn't say jog in love. Uh, he didn't say speed walk in love. He said walk in love. It's a step-by-step process. It's slow. It's a steady process. In uh, 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 3, or 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us, it says uh, that we are changed from glory to glory, from one degree to another degree. It's a slow process of change that God is working in our life. So it's a slow process of walking in love. Now this is the fifth time that we find this word walk here. Paul used that word walk in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse number 2. He says, uh, grace... Uh, or he says, Ephesians 2.2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. In Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In uh, chapter 4, verse number 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a calling which you have been called for. In Ephesians 4.17, he tells us, now this I say, testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we'll go on later on. He lists walking two other times in Ephesians uh, chapter number 5. So if love is supposed to be the manner of our walk, that means that as you grow in Christ, since it's a slow and steady process, the more that you're growing in Christ, the more your life should be showing this kind of love. So we've already seen here this perfect example of this. Paul uh, said here, walking with all humility... In Ephesians 4, we're supposed to be walking with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And he said that we must speak the truth in love. And we're supposed to be building, the body's supposed to be building itself up in love. And uh, so this, this walking is a process of which the church... The body of Christ, as we gather together, as you are growing in Christ, and you are growing in Christ, and I'm growing in Christ, the more that we are growing in Christ together, we will all walk together in unity, walk together in love, walk together and growing and building ourselves up in love. And so the point is, the longer you are a Christian, the more your life should be characterized by love. It's a lifelong process, but we must strive to grow in it. Now look at this last phrase, what he says here. So we're supposed to walk in love as Christ loved us, and notice this, gave himself up for us. This is so important if we are going to be an imitator of God and walk in love. If Christ is our example, the Bible says that he gave himself up for us. That phrase was used uh, earlier when Paul said in uh, Ephesians 4, he's talking about the, the people that walk uh, in, the, in, the, in the darkened of their understanding. He says they become callous and given themselves up to sensuality. So we're supposed to walk in love, not be callous. We're supposed to give ourselves up 
as Christ gave himself up for us. So why is this important? Because there are people that God has allowed to be put into your life that are difficult for you to love. People that really just push your buttons. People that are are hard to deal with. But what are you supposed to do? Walk in love. You're supposed to love them. You don't just say, well, you know what? I can't deal with these people, so I'm leaving. That's not how you deal with it. That's not how a Christian is supposed to handle it. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to love them. You're supposed to walk in love. You're supposed to be an example of Christ. You're supposed to give yourself up for them. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There was nothing in you that motivated God to love you. Nothing. You were dead. What does a dead man need? Life. And so there was nothing in you at all that God looked down and said, oh man, look at this person. They're just a great example of humanity. I want to save them. No. And so Christ gave himself up for us. He did it out of his own loving nature and to please the Father. If God loved you and Christ sacrificially gave himself up for you, even though you were a sinner, he calls you and me to sacrificially love those who may not be very lovable. Let's pray together.